So many of us have app fatigue. So many clients, so many apps, and so many different payments, charges, receipts, subscriptions, discounts, bundles. It's almost impossible to keep track of. What if you could have just one subscription for 50 different integrated business apps? You can. It's called Zoho One. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Zoho, later in the episode. Most accountants in school are only ever taught about the traditional path to go to like large firms and do audit or tax. And yeah. so they get turned off by that because then they go on Reddit, they go on TikTok and they see that it's kind of miserable the first few years and they're not willing to make the same exchange that people in the past were because they have more opportunities. And so if, if they're made aware of, hey, you can have actually work-life balance. There are these firms that offer 40, maybe no more than 50 hours a week. Some are saying like, we only work people 35 hours. Like, you can choose the firm that fits your lifestyle. And then we don't lose those people to other professions. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Friday the 13th, Blake. <laughs> it's today. Well, maybe that's why so. our guest is... Is uh, is missing in action. Uh, Ron Saharian from Profit First uh, was scheduled to join us today. He is not yet in the studio. Perhaps he has been held up by some bad luck. If he does make it, we will welcome him in. And if not, we'll get him rescheduled. So, I had a pretty eventful week, but I'll let you talk about your week first, and then because once we start talking about my week, it's going to spiral. We we got four episodes of material based on my. Oh week. well, then let's let's get to it. I mean, you know, uh, I, the only thing eventful for me was uh, my wife was on a business trip, which she doesn't do very often. So I I got to you know be the uh, single dad for. Uh, I think I saw you cook steak for one, like literally just one steak. Well, day one <laughs> dinner was macaroni and cheese because that's all that was in the fridge, and then day two dinner was I found some frozen uh, sausages, so <laughs> grilled those, and then I ran out of food completely. I was going to starve to death, so. Uh, I, I went to the store and bought myself a nice bone-in ribeye and had that last night. But I oh, screwed up, fun. and I, I've never that's seasoned great. the steak. She always does it, and I grill them, and I over-salted it. So I ruined my steak. Got to be careful. Uh, you know, bad luck. But, uh, you know, that was it, it was a good week all in, and she's back. She made it, and she was flying southwest, and she made it home. So, hey, yeah. Especially because that was the other thing that happened this week, right? Didn't the FAA, oh, the, the IRS of the airline industry went down. Yeah, and it's really not, still not clear what happened there other than some database file got corrupted. And the FAA, in all its wisdom, decided that because this emergency messaging system wasn't working, that they had to ground every plane in the U.S., and I wonder, is that really standard protocol? Like, if this one system goes down, you can't fly? What's the risk reward I, I think here? it was a bigger issue. Like, I think the issue was they couldn't figure out what was going on. They had a file that I get kind of a manual process, yeah. like firms do and the IRS does, that's been working for 30 years. And then for whatever reason, it was a Tuesday or Wednesday, somebody has this file, they go to upload it to a computer, and it just doesn't want to upload. So then they get it again. Like, we'll send it again. Then we'll try it again. Or reboot everything. Now try it again. And I think the un- the... The scary part for them, I guess, was like, why is this not working when it's worked for 30 years? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they're, all right, put everything on hold till we solve this. Because, like, there was obviously something unexplainable. And, of course, they're like, we weren't hacked. We weren't this. You know, who knows? But and uh, it's scary. Hello. Happy Friday to everyone who's joining us in the YouTube live. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube, Cloud Accounting Podcast. Subscribe and get notified when we go live. And you can chat with us. So, hello, D. Hall and Christopher. Great to see you. David, I want to hear about your week. You had an eventful week. My week. So 
I think I've, I've said this before on the show. One of the best things about me leaving into it and starting my own entrepreneurial journey is I now get to be a client of accounting firms. So I get to f- be, get the client experience, which is great, right? I, I'm, I'm on the other side of the fence. And, and we talked, I've bitched about tax organizers before. I've talked about a lot of things. Well, I officially have had another accounting client experience that I want to uh, talk about here. So I got a nice letter in the mail, you know, dated January 10th. So a couple, you know, okay. Ago. Okay. And oh, hold on, uh, David. I got to stop you. Ron's oh. here. Ron, you made it. Oh, Ron showed up. Hey, you made hey. it. Perfect. I made it. <laughs> Sorry for the confusion, guys. I didn't know what was going on there for No a worries. No worries. We're glad to have you. It's Friday the 13th. So we're just going to attribute this to, uh, to that, right? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've already been nervous. I'm like, man, I'm going to be on with uh, Blake and David. What, <laughs> I, I, this is you guys are the best. Uh, I've been following you and the Ron Baker, uh, you know, interviews and everything. I'm like, how am I going to compete with those guys? Well, you have the energy. You bring the energy to all of your podcast episodes, and I take inspiration from that. So I'm, you have a lightsaber or something, right? Or like I got the, lightsabers, I got see? bats, I got lacrosse sticks. I, I got it all, man. We don't have any of that stuff. Well, that's awesome. So, so uh, <laughs> well, uh, everyone, welcome Ron Saharian to the show. Ron is the co-founder and managing director of Profit First Professionals, LLC. Yeah. And we'd love to hear about Profit First, a little bit about your journey there. Um, but I want to get back to David's story about his week because, uh, well... Uh, David, you were laying the groundwork there, right? What was I can I catch Ron okay. up here? I'll give you the ten All second right. ground uh, ground catch up, Ron, in ten seconds. Ron, I left into it, corporate job, started my own yep. entrepreneurial journey, and because of that, I now am a client of accounting firms, and it's been an eye opening three and a half four years being a client of accounting firms because I think I'm getting the typical client experience, and it's not the best experience as a client across the board. Tax organizers, this tools, portals, you know what I mean. It's just it's just the state of the industry. It's it's really good experience for me. Well, this week I officially have gotten the next level of client experience this week. So, I got a letter here. So it's it's dated to uh, or it's addressed to me and my wife. It's dated uh, this week, uh, dear David and Lauren. So Lord, this is from the last from your accounting firm. Like this is from my accounting okay. firm. So this is the firm that does my personal return, not business, not any of our business okay. entities. Okay. Dear David and Lori, the last few years have brought tremendous challenges to the public accounting profession. The massive Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2018, the CARES Act of 2020, which was a response to COVID-19, created significantly more work at a time when our profession and our firm are facing the same labor shortage as many business sectors throughout Arizona and the United States. Looking ahead at 2023, we have determined we can no longer provide the quality of service to all our clients. Regrettably, we need to ask that you engage with another tax professional for your income tax preparation for the year 2020 tax year. Thank you for your understanding. By way of this letter, we hereby inform you that effective immediately, we have terminated our professional relationship with you and will no longer render your professional services as of this date. So I've been fired as a client of a firm and I've gotten the the full client accounting experience. So (laughs) what did you do, David? Or what did you do? Yeah. were Were you a PETA, David? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, yes, I sent I sent emails with all caps all the time. Yeah, I would just call and ask to speak to the the firm owner, whose name the name of the firm. Every time I, you know, yeah, no, I was actually probably a decent client, and that's why I wanted to talk about this, and I think it affects the show yeah. a lot. First, yeah. let me just preface: I'm not upset about this. Like this is 
the greatest thing. Like for me to experience this, we have something to talk about on the show. We'll make eight episodes out of this. This is well, great. I'd be more than happy to introduce you to any number of profit first professionals that would love to do your accounting. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so kind of like rewinding in, in, about this. So, I probably paid this firm anywhere between five to seven, seven and a half k, probably six to seven and a half k over the last eighteen months, right? So it's not like I was like a eight hundred dollar return, right, or two hundred dollar return. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I would argue that's decent money. Uh, can we agree? Like, it's okay. For, just, for, for, for what, what level of services? I mean, so, are, so are, I mean, I have a, you know, it's, it's a personal return. I got, okay. you know, a couple W-2s, a couple of K-1s, two rental properties, Airbnb. You know, we bought an electric okay. car this year. So, um, some exercise, some options. What was your total spend? Between Roughly? Probably, it's, I think it was 7500 7, over the last 18 months. Yeah, that's not I chump change for that. No, and yeah. it's not. That's what I said. I thought like- It's not egregious either. It's, it's, it's not egregious, but it's also not nothing. Yeah. And you had some yeah. options. Did you mention that? You had some stock options. Yeah. I, I just had some stock options that were- it, it reached the point where I couldn't do my own taxes anymore. Right? So I'm like, all right, we have to pay somebody else to do this. But so, so, but I wasn't a bad client from that perspective. I, I, I uploaded all my stuff into Tax Daddy. You know, I, I participated. Yeah. But the re, but I but I also like understand the reasoning for this. So I'm talking to my my- Tax professional, my accountant, I guess, right? She's a senior tax preparer, she a, CPA, she a right? Tax senior or a manager, partner or a partner, partner principal. I don't know all these titles, <laughs> right? Partner principal, owner, like managing it's director. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was talking to her, and because like I said, there's no, there's nothing wrong with any of this. I get it. She worked 3,200 hours, uh, just a shy under 3,200 hours last year. 3,200 hours. So that. Like, do you know if she took any vacations? Because that's like, even without vacations, that's like 60 hour weeks. I don't know because I know that she's like sent me things on a Sunday night of a holiday weekend. Dude, right? like, I run for the hills. That's the best thing that ever happened to you. Any accounting firm or bookkeeping firm that is banging their chest, I'm working 60 hours a week. I'm packaging all my food for the next three months and I'm not going to see my family. I don't want blah, 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 blah. I'm running for the hills. Yeah. I want my accounting professional to get a good night's sleep as much as I want my surgeon to get a good night's yeah. sleep. I want my accounting firm to be a well-oiled, well-run machine where their employees are looking forward to coming to work and doing the job all throughout the year. Yeah. And then this is like, I think some of the, what went into that decision. And, and, I'm, 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 and that's what's crazy about this. I got fired from a firm where I'm personal friends with the CEO. This is a top 200 accounting firm. I'm friends with the CEO they, and I still got fired you? from the firm. Like, did they call you or did they oh, just yeah, send yeah, you? Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah, the letter came after the meeting and phone call, but. Okay, okay, so, that's good. But the, in, so I talked to him and, and I think I'm going to have him be on an interview with Blake on the Earmark County podcast. He, they, as a firm, they let, let go of a significant amount of revenue. And when I say significant, more than probably most of the listeners firms make in a year of our podcast, like it's significant amount of revenue. And I was talking about it and I, there's ways to think about it that from his perspective, you know, he just invested that much revenue into the health and welfare of his employees, right? And to yeah. his clients getting better experiences, right? So I have a question for you, David, about this though. Like what was the logic Walk me through the logic again of letting you go as a client, like instead of somebody else. Because when I heard how much you were paying for your return, I said, "Well, that's a good, that's a good client, right? At least in my opinion. Like that's not a, you know, small ten forty. That's well, not they, a ten forty that you're doing for two hundred dollars, right? That's not the kind of thing that you usually hear about people shedding. I know they're a bigger firm, it's, but 
it's that game where take on the more expensive client. So if, yeah. if there's only so much work, you're going to take the client, you're going to do the work for the client that's paying you 60 grand a year engagement, right? 70 yeah. grand a year engagement. Right. And, and it's just coming down to there's just not enough employee. They can't hire enough. They outsource some stuff, but you can't hire enough people to do the work for your firm, right? And, th- and, and that's and, what Christopher asked in the live stream. He said, is the crux that they are terminating because of staff shortage? And that's what it sounds like. They're saying, you know, our people are working 60 hours. We can't handle the work. Sorry, we can't help you. It's, that's the gist of it. Yeah. And, and I, again, I think this is the typical experience. I think all the firms are doing this, right? Yeah. And we see it on tax Twitter. They're taking on, I'm they firing all my clients. The that. They shouldn't be taking on the business. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's what I want to know, David, is like, because, you know, hey, look, we're, I, I'm your co-host here. Like, we're buddies. Uh, I'm in your corner here on this one. I'm a little kind of, you know, pissed off for you that you have to go find somebody new. Like what did they take on? I want to know, did they take on new business this year? And you're getting pushed out for that new business because that's not. Yeah. Were you upgraded? Well, yeah. Were you upgraded or were so you. Just handed off to somebody else. But this is the bigger issue of our industry. And I keep, I've said this, I said this to Ron Baker. I said this to when Joe Woodard was on every, and even Ron, I'm sure you guys coach your, your professionals, right? To, Hey, you want to get less clients that pay you more. Depends what you want to build. Yeah. Depends okay. what you want to build. But yes, in essence, most of them want higher premium customers and not as many of them. Yeah. And so they've handed me off to a new CPA. So not in the right. firm. In new, the same company or out no, new uh, firm? Another another firm. Completely different. Okay. Firm. They handed me off. And he's happy to take me. Because for him, he's probably like, hey, I'll get four grand out of this guy. He can let go of four of his $800 clients that are taking up his time. Right. 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 And so now where do those people go? And, this, and, and I brought this up on tax Twitter. All these people on Tash Twitter sent out my client firing letters this week. Everybody's doing the same thing across the board, which gets us to what happened. I've, I've asked this to Ron Baker. I've asked this to Joe Woodard. What happens to the bottom of these people? And they have no, they're going to have to go to a TurboTax live situation. So when people say TurboTax is stealing your clients, yeah. that's bullshit. It, you guys are firing all your clients. It's a domino. I'm going to have a client because I'm still going to pay four grand. Or I'll have an this is a good. Somebody will take This me. is a good argument to invest you know? in into it, H&R Block. Uh, you know, all the, all the apps, all the companies that are going to take on those clients that are getting fired by accounting firms. But I, so I I, I see the problem guys as well. Um, we're blessed to receive a lot of inquiries from business owners that are looking to work with profit first professionals. Um, a lot of these business owners, unfortunately are sub 150,000. Nobody wants to work with them. Very few want to work but, from. You know, it is possible, though, because, David, you've gotten me some great interviews recently on my Earmark podcast where I talk to people who have built practices that are serving clients for a few hundred dollars a month in recurring revenue. Yes. And they're and niche. They're, they're, they're niche. The, the, like, wrong. That's the only way that you can do it is yeah. you have to be like focused on like a super niche area of I'm just going to focus on real estate agents or I'm just going to focus on property owners or... Or volume. Yeah. Volume scalable, less 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 of us speaking together where you know we're, we're the the higher paying customers you know we're weaving in strategic conversations throughout a 12-month period well what you can do that when they're affording that investment but somebody that's only can pay a couple of thousand dollars two thousand dollars you know we us we don't have the bandwidth to spend you know an hour necessarily every month coaching them on helping them grow their business they're going to they're going to be better suited off going to a large firm where it's more the compliance getting done, mm-hmm. right? And my, what I always advocate, of course, is to 
great, get the accounting done. And as you're growing, open up, open up or, or budget for real accounting services, for advanced accounting services, uh, have a budget for a, an accountant that is, has some business acumen that isn't just transactional, but can help you grow your business through their lens. Yeah. But you have to prepare for that investment, much like you have to prepare for investing in a person or another piece of machinery. So I'm willing to bet that this firm, this large firm, top you said top 200 firm, David, that you were with, and we're not going to name them. Yeah. Uh, uh, because, but you know, every- They actually probably don't care about you either, David, <laughs> quite honestly. Well, <laughs> no, the, the relationship, and like, I want to make sure very, very clear, the relationship is great. I, I, you, I mean, you know these people personally, but like I understand where they're coming from. Like, yeah. like nobody wants to work sixty-two, sixty-three hours a week every single week for an entire year. And, and, and but, work but, but this is, right, but but this is the what's broken about our industry. It goes back to the discussions we have. Why we have three hundred thousand accounts that left the industry. Like this is just I'm experiencing the bigger problem of our space. Well, and the question is, my question is, why is that tax manager working sixty-hour weeks, three thousand hours a year? Why is that happening in that firm? And why is it just now, go ahead, Ron, you've got your hand raised there. <laughs> I'm gonna say because it's poor management, poor systems, poor, you know, poor everything. You know, they're doing the same thing they've always done. They're not They're not growing. And I, I don't think that, you know, they have the, a lot of the uh, owners don't necessarily have the empathy for what their, um, their, their employees are going through. They're more in for hitting that hour and hitting that hour, hitting that hour. Yeah. And they'll, they just feel as though they're just going to get somebody else to come on in here and do it. They're just not but really. But I want to make sure. Like, I don't think this is specific to any firm because I'm experiencing not an ideal client, perfect relationship with all the firms I'm working with, right? So I don't think the problems this firm and them letting go of me as a client, I guarantee you the other top 200 firms all send out letters like this. Absolutely. I'd be shocked if, if there's a top 200 firm that did not send out a le letters like this and let go of millions of dollars of clients. Well, I, I'd, I'd be shocked. Well, you shocked know, we, that they did. There, there's a lot of, um, I guess, experts out there that are always saying, you know, cut your bottom 10%, right, right. to make room for yeah. uh, better customers. And I get it. I get that's good business practice. But I think what we're trying to address here is how do we help these people? How do we help them, right? We're yeah. all trying to grow profitable, efficient accounting practices. Is that only going to be for the successful companies? Yeah, well, only A and B clients get served by accountants because there's just not enough accountants anymore. Everybody else, if you're, a C, if you're a C player, good luck. Have fun. Well, and, and so like, I get like firing the F clients, I get firing yeah, the F clients. Right. But people are letting go of, I'm a, I'm a B, B client. I got let go. Well, and, <laughs> maybe I, maybe and I would question the methodology for how they decided to let go of clients. If they're just looking at revenue and they're saying, I'm just going to fire all the clients that are not paying me as much revenue, then are you really freeing up time in your firm? Because maybe those clients that are paying you a lot of money are sucking up tons and tons of hours. Like, do you do yeah, you no, know no. that? If you're billing hourly, if that's how you think of it, then every dollar of revenue is equal. But we all know as business owners that when we consult with clients, not every dollar of revenue is equal. But if you think in terms of right. timesheets, it is. And so, like, that's why I was shocked, David, because I think that you're actually probably a... I bet you're an A client, honestly compared to most clients out there, because you do your bookkeeping, you understand how to reconcile your QuickBooks file, and you give 
what I I've seen your work. It's good. You spent. Tw- I scan the PDFs you, and I upload yeah. them to the portal. You don't spend. Tw- I, I play the. You game. don't spend like a, a decade in customer support at QuickBooks without learning how to like do good bookkeeping. Thankfully, yeah, right? yeah. So you and you upload the files. You you don't, as Christopher said in the live chat, you don't send individual JPEGs, you know, via email to your tax <laughs> preparer. So. I think you're probably you don't box or receive. I think your return yeah. is probably yeah. really profitable, but I think the firm doesn't have a way to understand that. And so this is where these yeah, are not using the cringe factor, yeah. right? They're not using the cringe factor. They're not using the pain in the ass. Maybe factor. they did, Ron. Maybe they did. <laughs> Maybe. I am willing to bet that you know I I'm going to go to bat for you, David, and say that they did not vote you off the island due to your personality. I think yeah. it was really just like yeah, a metrics, hopefully. you know, re- top line revenue yeah. driven thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. a sad state, you know, that we, we don't have enough accountants. And the question is, why does that firm not have enough talent? I'm, I'm going to bet it's because they're still hiring people in their local areas that have to come into the office, you know, probably. And you know, they're not considering offshoring. You know, they're not. Ca- well, no, I think they have Philippines. I think they have uh, South America. I think they even have some in well, India. So they if are. If they did, though, they'd be able to do your returns if they yeah. were really using it properly, yeah. hmm. I think. Yeah. Did you ever talk? That's to why him? I said seriously. So, so, so I'm going to get the CEO of this firm to be on the Earmark Accounting Podcast, Blake. So you get an hour to dig in on this like journey of of the the reasoning, yeah. right? So because I I wouldn't give him the not, press. It's not. It's it, it's not. Um, I don't think this is typical. And I mean, I'm sorry. I think it's typical. Like everybody's letting go of clients, yeah. and the decision process is probably different at every firm too. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Zoho. I'm sure you've heard of Zoho before. We've probably even mentioned Zoho CRM or Zoho Books on this podcast in the past. But do you really know about Zoho? Did you know that Zoho has been around for 26 years? Did you know that Zoho has 85 million users? Did you know that Zoho has over 50 applications? Did you know that Zoho offers one subscription to 50 applications? Did you know that Zoho apps are integrated with other Zoho apps? Did you know that almost all Zoho apps have Zapier connections? Did you know that some Zoho apps can connect directly to QuickBooks Online, Xero, and Sage Accounting? Did you know that Zoho offers an entire suite of solutions to run your firm, including a CRM, expense tracking, bookkeeping, a full office suite, a support ticket system, and workflow automation? Did you know that Zoho offers a suite of solutions for your clients' bookkeeping, including bookkeeping, inventory, invoicing, subscription management, and a checkout app? Did you know that Zoho has an accountants program? Did you know that Zoho advisors get free access to eight Zoho applications and a dedicated account manager? If you want to learn more about becoming a Zoho advisor, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Zoho. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash Z-O-H-O. Zoho, a one-stop solution for all business needs. Well, I think that one of the reasons that some firms can't find accountants is because they aren't supporting remote work enough. And uh, the firms that do allow people to work remotely are able to get talent. And the reason is it's in the data. The number of or the demand for remote jobs exceeds the supply. This is according to a LinkedIn story that I saw last month. Here's the quote. And and just when you say jobs... Just accounting jobs, or is this, this is all jobs, it's all jobs across the. But, all but I'm willing to bet that this goes to accounting too, probably even more. Demand for remote work is showing no signs of waning post-pandemic, but there simply aren't enough flexible jobs to meet candidates' criteria, says Axios. 
Just 15% of job vacancies advertised on LinkedIn are for remote positions, but 50% of applicants say they don't want to be in the office full time. So think about that. Only 15% of jobs advertised on LinkedIn are for remote positions, but 50% of applicants would like a remote position. So if you as an accounting firm support remote work, you are going to be able to staff up in my, like, it just seems natural, right? Supply demand. I would also take a look and, and question the data and what type of jobs there are. I mean, you can't have remote working servers, right? <laughs> so uh, mm -hmm. I'm wondering what the, the, all of the data is. If they're talking professional services, I would like to see that broken out. But if there's, if there's business owners out there, uh, accounting business owners, bookkeeping firm business owners that aren't allowing remote flexibility and hear my voice, you're losing. You're losing all that potential talent, right? When you can only hire from your local area versus the whole world, potentially. And now we've- well, the problem- but, 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 but that's like, I think you're oversimplifying this. Like the, you start to be like, well, locally, local area. Okay, fine. There's Maybe there's only so many CPAs in Tucson. But like, how many are really out there to hire anyways? Like as, as a complete industry, the bodies just don't exist. Right. And also, what are you, what are you giving um, other than a paycheck to get up in the morning for, right? And so, you know, maybe you are able to hire some local people. You get those local people. You're up and maybe they're a year or two out of college or they're fresh out of college. You get them, you train them, they get them going, and then you lose them because somebody poaches them. Why? Because you're, you're not looking at them at the level that you should be looking at them and making the uh, salaries equitable for somebody who is coming in off the street. Yeah. If, I, if I, somebody has grown with me a couple of years and now they have five years, okay, and I, I got them at a discount, a rookie contract, if you will, right? Yeah. If I'm not paying them the next to really retain them as though they were coming off the street, they're going to leave, especially if there is a better opportunity, a better culture, and more flexibility. So, David, anything else you want to add to this story? We're going to follow up on this in future episodes. Um, I think, and, and then Ron could half speak to this. Um, it, it kind of makes me wonder about, you know, the coaches. And, and if you're on LinkedIn at all, you get inundated by, I'll fill your inbox with more clients. <laughs> like, Bullshit. I'll get you so many leads. And I see these and I'm like, are they just naive to the industry? Accountants have more work than they could possibly do. <laughs> like they don't know. I can't, I don't know one accountant. I I don't know one accountant that needs more clients. Everybody is busy as they've ever been. Now, you, and you're in that gray area because you guys coach, mentor, profit first professionals. So uh, speak to this. And you almost said it's bullshit. So let me. Yeah. Let, any any it. any anybody that's promising leads, I run for the hills. You know, it, it, you know, it's it's not about the leads. It's never about the leads. It's about sharing the value and the benefits of working with your firm, right? It's the experience from hello when they're talking to. If you're asking the same questions over and over, the same people, that you got to differentiate yourself, right? And so I don't I don't like that. What what we're here to do at Profit First is we're helping our members really share the value and the benefits of working with them. And Profit First is just happens to be a component of the business. It's a tool that they're utilizing. But in the issue that I really see, guys, is um, over the years, accountants have had it easy, right? It's like the pharmacist. There's always going to be business available. Um, and a lot of it is through referral. But now people like me, I'm looking for why should I work with you, right? And there's a, there's a skills gap because a lot of accounting firms don't know necessarily how to close a car door, let alone unseat the incumbent. 
And that's what a lot of people are looking for. You know, high, high profitability, good businesses are not necessarily looking to change accounting firms. However, if there is an opportunity, if there is that, that huh, that catches my attention, maybe I'll, I'll reach out to that firm and just see if they're different than what I have. Mm -hmm. See if they're better than what I have. And if they're not, no harm, no foul. I'm already happy with what I got. And so we spend a tremendous amount of time helping improve that experience. Yep. So uh, I totally forgot about this, and I just remembered it. My friend, one of my f close friends, uh, just left her firm and went to a new one. And the, the reason why is kind of crazy. She didn't want to move. Also at sort of like mid, we're talking mid-sized firms. So similar, David, to where you were getting your return done. Okay, similar. And she's she like an audit person, tax, tax person, more tax of a person. Uh, tax person. So tax, tax senior uh, with, I don't know, I want to say like five years of experience. Uh, ready to make the move to manager. Felt like she was ready to make the move. Put in for the promotion, on schedule, got denied the promotion. So denied the new title, denied the new salary. She feels she's got the skills. And I believe she does. Very talented. Appeals the decision to her partner, gets denied again. Tells me her salary, which is way under market, even for a senior. So I said, well, I guess the only way you're going to make more money is if you go out and find a new firm. Within one day, she had two firms competing for her, offering her significantly more, tens of thousands of dollars more per year than she was making before with a promotion to manager. <laughs> you know? And she left. Good for her. She, yeah. Yeah. She, it, it happened in like a few days. And I wonder like, what was the firm that she was at thinking? What were they thinking? You know? It, Maybe they- Because they, they are in the not. same situation as David's firm. And the other firm's probably in the same situation. So they're like, well, we'll just pay more to hire somebody to, to fire a couple less clients. Uh, and, and ultimately, I still think at the end of the day, the only way we grow the bottom of the funnel is all the wages have to start going up. And so the people are, make a decision like, I don't want to be a software engineer because I can make more being an accountant. So I, I ha and that's how we raise the So bar. I have a video here or a, just a screenshot really from a video that I want to share with you guys to put this in perspective. Okay. So are you able to see this here, uh, this chart? I got to make it bigger, but okay. I can see so, it. Yes. Okay. You see this? This is from a um, CPA Trendlines webinar from like last, from January, I think. But but the data is, you know, through 2019. Okay. So it gives us a, a, a snapshot of, we're looking at 2008 to 2019 here at the bottom. And we're looking at three things, right? The blue line is revenue. Uh, and this is for CPA firms. So we, blue line is revenue. Okay. And you can see it going from the left up to the right. Revenue is up 70%. Okay, 70% increase in revenue from 2008 to 2019 in CPA firms. Expenses wow. are up 61%. Staff are only up 18%. And the pricing index, which I take it is, you know, how much they've raised fees is only up 15%. So what has happened? Reve revenue- and in this graph, Blake, wh when's it start? What so year 2008 is, is where the data looks to start. 2008, 2009, okay. and then it goes up to 2019. So it's like a 10-year snapshot okay. from the last decade. So revenue goes up 70%, but staff only goes up 18%. So what happens when that happens? In a firm that bills hourly, they work more hours. Starfleet. The staff work more hours, yeah. and they, they get overwhelmed, and they quit. And we saw over the last two years that 17% of U.S. accountants and auditors quit the profession. Why did they quit? 
I think it's really simple. I don't think people are complicated. I think it was too many hours. They got burned out. And so, well, also, what is the 70, 61% in expenses? I think that's partner compensation. So I think what's happened uh, is that, and this is, you see this in the data, partners are making half a million dollars a year on average. That is way up. All of this additional revenue is on the backs of staff and the partners are reeling in the dough. They're making tons and tons of money. This is in traditional CPA firms. And so the staff that don't want to get overloaded and work those crazy hours, they leave. I mean, we've done this to ourselves as a profession. Like it's, it's pretty simple. And actually the real crime here is, is you could have had the revenue go up without overwhelming the staff if you'd actually raised your prices. <laughs> right. So like that, a, a, a one to three percent price increase, margin increase across the board is going to do wonders for the profitability of a company. Yeah. So, so th it's that simple. this is the fault of CPA firm management, not raising mm -hmm. prices, uh, but bringing on clients without raising prices, overworking the staff, not bringing on enough staff. And over-promising, under-delivering, yeah. right? Or biting off more than you can chew. I think it's uh, it's everything that David and I and you are saying, Blake, where it's the, the ultimate tsunami where, you know, okay... The, they're getting tons of business. They can't control themselves. They can't say no. They can't say no, right? Because they're coming on in. They're trying to get theirs, okay? Now they have staff. Work to staff, work to staff, work to staff, work to staff. Staff is overworked because that is industry standard. Industry standard to work all these hours. That's crazy, So right? Over here on the right yeah. is, is the actual summary of like the thing that matters. So profit is up 94%, you know, and the revenue per full-time employee is up 45%. Wages for employees of firms, not, not partners, yeah. are not up 45% in the last decade. No. If you're making 100 grand in 2008, you're not making 150. Wages now. have basically been stagnant. Now they're finally going yeah. up dramatically. And we saw that with like my anecdote of my friend who just you know got the, the pay increase. But it's still not as fast as, I mean, I guess the last few years it's been even in terms of like revenue and wage growth, but they, there's still a huge gap. So what is this? What about starting? Yeah. I mean, has starting, the starting salaries increased? Because I remember when I was coming out of school, accounting majors were getting like 40 to 60. No. And this was 20, 30 years ago. Uh, it, uh, there's, it's, it's recent. I, I can speak. Go ahead, David. I, I can ask. Let me, let me, let me, I'm going to put my head out of the studio for a second. I have a recent accounting grad who has a, an offer already. Let me ask. Hold on. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, David goes, my bet is not really meaningfully. I mean, you index for inflation. And everything right. I've heard is like, especially at like the big four, the salaries have yeah. basically been stagnant for like two decades. Meanwhile, cost of living has gone so, up, right? So you're right. So I have somebody, uh, she's a graduate accounting student. She is uh, already signed a letter of intent with a top 10 accounting firm, $65,000 starting salary. And this, what city is it in? For a CPA. For a what CPA. City? Like Phoenix? It's, a, it's uh, a top 10 firm. Like it's Tucson? Like the, well, the cost of living matters, right? That's I, I'm curious about that. I, I, let me check. <laughs> David is- I actually, I, I lost a, um, an internal Phoenix. employee. We hired a, uh, a guy who was, um, you know, he, he didn't graduate college yet. Yeah. Um, he was getting his CPA. Sharp dude. Very, very sharp. He knew all his life he wanted to work for the big, big companies. Um, he got 70. 70 starting, one of the big, the big eight or four or whatever they are now. And he knows he's going to be absolutely miserable. He, he's choosing to be miserable. Yeah. He knows he's going to be working like a machine. And for the next couple of years, he's going to, he knows that. And he's going to hope to make partner. See, but that's, that's that, that, but that's like, that's like playing high school baseball 
and hoping to get into the MLB. The odds of making partner at a big firm, it's less than 1%. I know. So it's not, that's what, if, if, that's what I don't understand. Accounting is kind of a conservative profession. So if you're conservative, like don't bet on becoming a partner at the big four. Well, they sell you on it. They sell you on yeah. it, right? Yeah. Well, because if you do, the rewards are enormous on paper. You make, like at a big four firm, you're making a million dollars a year as a partner, but it takes you at least 15 years to get there, maybe 20. And then you're working 3,000 hours a year still. Yeah, right? You don't remember your kid's birthdays. And, and you get divorced at least two and times. That, <laughs> and that's the bigger issue here as far as selling them on them. You can't sell anybody on this dream anymore because they look at somebody else who's the senior tax manager of, of me who has 25 years experience, right? And is still trying having to put in 60 hours a week. So the, part, the promise of becoming a partner or a principal is just – not there anymore. Yeah. And partners aren't and so retiring. younger people are like, I'm out. I'm yeah, out. Well, partners aren't Why retiring. Why would you retire if you're a partner? Well, I mean. Right? They're, they're, they're staying longer. I, I don't know about you guys, but like my goal of working is so that I don't have to work someday. But it doesn't seem to. Yeah. But I think, I think this is part of the, the cult of public accounting is that um, you go into it and then you're, you, you become enmeshed in this cult of billable hours and working all the time. And it like changes how you think about the world and you value work more than you do anything else, your family, your life. I mean, uh, uh, there was a thread on Reddit that I was reading about like how do partners uh, show off their, you know, all, all the money they make. And actually most of the staff in these big firms that were t- posting on Reddit said most of them don't. They, they drive like old Audis and like they're not even using the money that they're making. Like, what's the point? I don't understand. <laughs> now, of course, there's the partner every now and then who buys, you know, the, the Bentley ghost or whatever, you know, like you know, the crazy car. But most of them aren't like that. So anyway. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. One thing we haven't talked about yet is how LiveFlow helps accountants and bookkeepers to use LiveFlow successfully in their firms. For starters, LiveFlow has amazing customer support. They offer instant help 24-7 from real humans via chat, or if you prefer, you can schedule a Zoom meeting, choose to call them, or even email the founders directly. LiveFlow has a library of plug-and-play templates such as consolidated P&L and flash reports to enable and scale across your clients in a snap. They also have dozens of blog posts from other LiveFlow users where they share their best practices and they even share their Google Sheets so you can just copy them and start using their best practices in your firm instantly. In my opinion, this is what really sets LiveFlow apart from thousands of other QuickBooks Online apps, this ability to build, share, and scale on each other's work. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LiveFlow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-B-E-F-L-O-W. I, I wanted to follow up on our previous episode where we, uh, we talked about, um, what, what was it? Oh, the, David, you had the story of the guy who was looking at KPMG or the military and he thought the military would be easier than KPMG. Oh, it was, it was basically it was a part of that article about the 30,000 people that were quitting yeah. accounting or 300,000. And he's an accounting graduate and he's like, I like the accounting classes, but then I went to work for a firm and I hated it. So I'm going to join the military. Right. Instead. So, that was so just, I posted that clip because I, I love that clip. I put that on Instagram and Sweetlaw812 commented, I'm getting out of the military and will be using my accounting degree. I'm more scared now than ever. Laughing emoji. <laughs> so thank you, Sweetlaw812. Uh, but you know that's that's kind of nuts, right? I I just feel like that's that's the world we're in. Uh, 
I've never understood why somebody would want to get into that profession. I mean, I, I'm not a degreed accountant. I'm not a degreed bookkeeper or accredited bookkeeper. I'm a business guy. And I just happen to be working in the accounting profession, right? We don't teach accounting. We don't teach bookkeeping. We teach transformation when it comes down to it. And my wife is a degreed accountant. That's as close as you want me doing your books. And, you know, I'm like, Mary, what? I mean, I wouldn't be seeing her for weeks. I'm like, this is crazy. She's like, no, it's the norm. All her friends, everybody's working, 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 working. And they may not have regret now, but I bet they have a little bit of micro regret. Yeah. And I don't want to even have micro regret at my age at this point. Well, so maybe this is a good opportunity for you to give us the elevator pitch for profit first. What do you guys do? What oh, you're too kind. I didn't come on yeah. here. To pitch profit well, we made you first, wait 37 minutes. So, you know, if <laughs> I was waiting, I was like, oh, no, no I, I, I was also intimidated, guys. I was also a little scared, you know, coming on with you guys. So, I, I, you know, my experience as a, uh, a bookkeeper who became a CPA is that I always sort of known about profit first, but never really used it, yeah. never knew anyone who used it um, in their business. Right. And and, but, I, right. but I became acquainted with it, you know, in the last couple of years. And, um, yeah. you know, it's funny, as, as an entrepreneur myself now, uh, David and I are starting a media production business. We have all the same challenges financially of, of your typical entrepreneur. And I uh, find my accounting reports to be honestly a bit lacking when it comes to actually operating as a business owner and not as an accountant. So that's what you guys <laughs> aim to solve for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Well, financials are very important. I would never say that they're not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my offer still stands. I don't know if you're working with Liz, but um, totally gratis on me. I'm profit first professional. I want you guys to experience profit first selfishly and because I know it's good for your business. Um, so what profit first professionals is, it's a, it's a membership organization, membership organization, limited membership organization. Uh, we're capping membership in a thousand because of the exclusivity, because everybody is certified in everything. And with all due respect to QuickBooks, everybody's watered down. We want our members to be unique and distinct and one of a select few, right? Also the brand. We're pretty much the largest brand on small business profitability. The book's been translated into 27 different languages. Hebrew just came out this week. Um, we have uh, certified. Yeah, mazel tov. Yeah, we have um, certified accounting, bookkeeping and coaching firms in over 30 countries. Um, I've established Profit First UK, Profit First Canada, Profit First Germany, Belgium, Netherlands, Australia, New Zealand. Um, we have folks for folks in South Africa, Angola, Africa, uh, Italy, France, you name it. And why it is so successful, why over 700,000 companies of all sizes are using it is because it's not accounting or bookkeeping. <laughs> It's a cash flow system that resides in between financials and forecasting. It's an allocation system. It's a front window approach to managing your money. Yeah. Right. And so we, once we're able to understand uh, that it's not accounting and not bookkeeping, my Keith, CPA Keith, he doesn't care how many bank accounts I have. He doesn't care what I call those bank accounts. All he cares is that I'm pushing a boatload of money over to him so he can do tax planning. Our bookkeeper doesn't care that Ron and Mike have 
20 different bank accounts at a couple of different banks. Because here's the story. This is where people screw up profit first. This is how profit first can ruin a business. They're using it as a P&L, each account. Mm. They're collecting mm -hmm. income into that account and they're trying to write checks out of that account. That's a reconciliation nightmare, nightmare. Yep. But so what we're doing in its simplest form is we know the importance of having a sales tax account, right? You guys would agree. It's a pretty cool thing to have a sales tax account if you charge sales tax. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's not your money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. You would also probably recommend a payroll account. Absolutely. Yep. Keep those right? payroll taxes Only separate. Payroll. Yep. Right. Those are important things that you need to do. You're not writing checks. You're not collecting income. What you're doing is twice a month, you're taking the money out of those accounts and you're copying it into whatever the, the OPEX account, which is what you're going to be spending on. Yeah. That's pretty simple. What, what I love about, well, the way I try to describe profit first to people who have no idea about it is it's, it's, and the thing I like about it is that you're taking the bank balance accounting that entrepreneurs instinctively do and you're modifying it to get like better, more value out of it, to help them manage their cash flow better in, in the same way you described, so that they're not spending money that's not theirs. And that's where businesses get in trouble is they end up having all these liabilities because they've spent the money already. And now, oh, I can't pay the payroll tax. I can't pay the sales tax. I can't pay these contractors that I owe money to. And we try, we can do that with liability accounts in the accounting software, but to actually provide a like the, the up-to-date financials every single day that you need to be able to manage a business like that is there, there aren't enough people to do it, right? David, like there's not enough, there's not <laughs> there's enough accountants not enough. to do that for small businesses. So, and, right. And what I love, and, and, and correct me, Ron, I don't want to step on toes here. Sure. Mike, you authored the book. Did you help, are you a co-author or is it's just him? Um, no, so Profit versus a book and a methodology Profit First Professionals is the organization Mike and I co-founded to support the teachings in the book. Got it. So, so I've heard Mike on an interview talk about so, Profit First. So Mike is like Jesus and I you're like the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is Einstein. Okay. He's the crazy Einstein. inventor. I'm just okay. a business owner. <laughs> but, but I think what, what the, the analogy get, he, I've heard him say before, which is really smart, it's like a toothpaste tube, right? And you yeah. and you squeeze the tube and then to all the things you need to squeeze out. And one of those things should be your profit. You just take some of that out. And then whatever's left in the tube, you'll figure out how to run your business on what's left. Yeah, you better put that other stuff. You better put some of that toothpaste in other places. If not, you're just going to, well, you know, the tube's empty. You just use not it exactly, but kind of sort of. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things you're talking about is a behavioral theory called Parkinson's law, not Parkinson's disease, Parkinson's law. Northcote Parkinson is a theorist who basically said that us human beings are going to exhaust all the available resources in any given time. Okay. Stephen Hawkins also is used to echo that as well. That's why if I give a web developer um, a project six weeks and $10,000, they're going to take six weeks and it's going to cost me $10,000. If I give somebody else that same project scope and give them $20,000 in four weeks, they're going to do it in four weeks and $20,000. The flip side of Parkinson's is, is where the beauty is. 
us human beings, when resources are sparse, when they're limited, we're going to be more creative. We're going to be more inventive. We're going to try to get more out of less. So that's where the tube of toothpaste analogy comes on in. Right. So when you get a full tube of toothpaste, it's like a fat operating expense account. OK. Right. You lay some on the t on your brush. Some falls off. No big deal. You brush your teeth. As that month continues, you you find yourself taking the tube of toothpaste, cranking it on the corner. You, you're squeegeeing it up. You might even buy a tool. Right. To squeegee it up. That's innovation. That's creative. You're trying to get that little turtle head yeah. of a of a toothpaste out there. You get some on on your toothbrush. It's amazing how clean we can make our mouths with just a little bit of toothbrush toothpaste, right? And so that's the essence. That's what we want to run our business on. We want to constrain the resources so that we are inventive, we are creative, we are trying to get more with less because when things are rocking and rolling, okay, and money is plentiful, we're not addressing those mm. issues. We're pulling the wool over our eyes. Those issues are still there. The, this PPP and all these loans and everything, those companies are still having freaking issues. This just masked it. Yep. And so, you know, that's what profit first is. That's why bank balance accounting, okay, is good because you can look at that every single day and that is already your constrained tube of toothpaste. And taking if this- that makes sense. Let's take this back Full to circle. The, yes, circle I was just here. gonna say that, David. So if an accounting firm's set a limit, none of my employees will work more than 40 hours a week. That's it, that's the limit. Will they still get all the work done for all yes. the clients? Yes, yes, absolutely. I think they will. Yes. I. They will. I feel like a lot of that time when people are working 70 to 80 hours, especially in big four firms, they're just sitting around the office. They're just looking busy, right? Like Ron said. FaceTime. Yeah. They're pretending yes. to work. So we have part-time employees. Yeah. We have grown our business on part-time employees. Yeah. Okay. The, our our part-time employees are efficient, are effective, and they are awesome. This 40-hour thing is, 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 is a waste. Do your job. Get your stuff done. And that's, that's why I like, I like Profit First. The idea of it is it, it deals with the psychology of money, right? It's not, it it's not just the theory of it. It's the psychology of it. And that's how you get people to do the right thing, to do the thing you want. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. For many of you, getting paid by your client is a multi-step and multi-app workflow that looks something like this. Send a client a proposal or engagement letter via quote-unquote signature tool, wait for the client to accept it, add the client to the accounting system, generate an invoice, send that to the client, wait for the client to pay you, or maybe you're advanced and you set up separate PDF to collect their ACH or credit card info to set up automatic payments. But again, you wait for them to provide those details. You get the point. It's a messy manual process, and I didn't even mention the spreadsheet you'll need to create to track all these steps. Introducing Anchor. Anchor automates your entire billing process for you end to end. With Anchor, you create one proposal that defines your scope of work, includes terms of service, allows your client to review and accept this agreement, even collects the client's payment info instantly to establish automated monthly payments. For the client, they experience all of this in just one screen. It's really that simple and clean. With Anchor's dashboard, you always have visibility in the entire process from pending and approved agreements, 
It will even surface items that may need additional attention, like when a client needs to update their credit card expiration date. And if the scope of work of the client ever changes, be it monthly services or a one-time additional charge, you can easily and clearly modify the agreement, keeping you and the client on the same page. And the best part, there is no subscription fee at all. Anchor only costs $5 per payment received. No matter how much you charge a client, it is still only $5 per payment. To learn more about using Anchor at your firm, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash anchor. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash A-N-C-H-O-R. So, so uh, it's been great having you on the show. I want to be respectful of your time. We booked you for an hour. How can people learn more about Profit First? Where should they go? Yeah, they can, one, they can hit me up on Facebook or two, they can go to ProfitFirstProfessionals.com and uh, there's an apply button. You can hit apply. Uh, you'll be asked to fill out some forms. You'll be asked to leave a deposit because uh, I'm not here to explain what the book is. So read the book first. And if it's your cup of tea, then schedule a call and we'll see if it's a fit. If it's a fit, great. If not, we could still be friends. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Ron, for joining us. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, you guys have been on our podcast, GMAP, Grow My Accounting Practice. I love what you're doing with your mark. We're going to be circling around. And you guys know, totally gratis on Profit First Professionals. I want you to experience Profit First. I want to help you architect your cash flow in your bank account to not only eliminate the pains, but achieve the wants. Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks, Thank Ron. Thank you very thanks, much. Ron. And, uh, I'll talk to you Later. soon. So, David, we got a bunch of listener mail, and if we can go long, we'll go long and and make sure we get to it. Otherwise, it's going to pile up. So this is a voicemail that we got from Jennifer Johnson. And uh, let me know if you can uh, give me a thumbs up when I start playing this to make sure you you can hear it. And this is Jennifer Johnson. She's the professor of accounting at University of Texas. And I forget which one. Dallas campus, I think. I think. Hey, Blake and David, Jennifer Johnson from the University of Texas at Dallas, longtime listener and sometimes contributor. Hey, I wanted to share a couple of stories about an event I host every semester with my class. I do a networking event where I bring in, I don't know, seven to 12 professionals every semester, and I break my group break my class into small groups just to get an opportunity to talk with other CPAs and accountants out in the field. The students get a chance to ask questions that they may not ask under an interview or job fair setting, and the professionals get an opportunity to give back. Well, this semester, I think I even had two or three students who found internships through this low-pressure opportunity. So I want to encourage educators out there, if you are listening, maybe take a chance on your students and bring those professionals in. They want to meet people. They want to get to know folks. And for the professionals listening, jump on in at that opportunity. If you get a chance to go into a classroom and meet with students, that is one of the best ways to help encourage them to continue on in the profession. From a student, I got in an evaluation this semester and an email that said that this event was one of the most important things that they did and stood out to them throughout their whole career here at the university. And from the professionals who were involved, the feedback was amazing and they really enjoyed it. So I want to encourage everybody to continue to make those connections because it is very helpful. Thanks for all you do, guys, and love the podcast. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for that voice memo. And that's a great idea. I mean, 
imagine that accounting students are getting offered jobs at mixers. <laughs> Why? Because there's not enough accountants. <laughs> like that's that's. Where I know, right? Like, you're an, hey, you're an accounting student. Come on. Probably, they, they should. Cre- what she should do is create a uh, like a bidding war, like an auction. <laughs> For each student, put them on well, stage. People have little placards. They raise their hands up and down. Really drive up those prices. So the, the problem with the recruitment issue is that most accountants in school are only ever taught about the traditional path to go to like large firms and do auditor tax, and yeah. so they get turned off by that because then they go on Reddit, they go on TikTok, and they see that it's kind of miserable the first few years, and they are not willing to make the same exchange that people in the past were because they have more opportunities. And so if, if they're made aware of, hey, you can have actually work-life balance. There are these firms that offer 40, maybe no more than 50 hours a week. Some are saying, like, we only work people 35 hours. Like, you can choose the firm that fits your lifestyle. And then we don't lose those people to other professions. We can actually keep them in in the firms that are yeah. willing to support that. And there's a, there's a place for that. But the, the problem is the students don't know because the universities and the big firms are in bed with each other. And, like, that's, you know, where do the universities get their funding? From the big firm partners. That's why they promote the big firms. It's it's follow the money, right? And they're they're giving them offer letters, basically at the end of their freshman year. So if they're they're reaching them first, and, and basically they're reaching people when they're done with accounting one hundred and one. <laughs> Here's the letter, <laughs> an offer letter for an internship two years from now. So we got more listener mail. We also have comments in the YouTube live. D Hall said, after having retention issues and bleeding talent for five to six years, my big boss is finally open to training up finance and accounting professionals from no experience and building capacity to train. That's great. And this is why a lot of firms don't train is because they work everybody so much, there's no time to train anyone. Like the managers don't have time to train and then the staff don't have time to learn. Uh, Christopher said, Citrin Cooperman, very forward-thinking firm, first to take on private equity, I believe, has spun off their consulting practice to where non-CPAs can become partner. And they have to do that because, here's why, they aren't getting enough managers and directors who want to become partner anymore. And if you don't have people buying in to the partnership, how do you pay out the partners who want to retire? The only way to do that is with private equity. I think they're smart to do it now because those partners are actually going to get that payout. The problem is the private equity money isn't unlimited. And so the firms that are unable to do that are going to have a huge succession crisis. And I think you'll have some firms that are upside down and they they have to renege on their uh, retirement payments to their retired partners because when the when the pyramid becomes thin at the bottom, you can't support it. Uh, they're basically big unfunded pension liabilities is what's happening in a lot of firms. Joseph said, man, love y'all's show. I'm currently in community college for accounting. Do y'all have any advice on charting the course in my professional career in accounting? Oh, that's a good one. So David, in community college for accounting, do we have any advice for charting a course? You know, I I actually- Like like what courses they should take? Well, I think it's for the career. Like where do you go? Once you have the degree, the accounting degree from community college, right? Where do you go? I would say, well, I mean, based on what we said, don't go to a big firm. <laughs> that would not be the best experience. You know, find a local firm, find a cloud-based firm. Maybe I know it can be hard to learn in a remote environment, but there's ways to overcome it. If you're comfortable with that, you could start at a remote and, firm. And I would try to find a smaller firm that is very technology-based. Yeah, where you're going to get exposed to things like a Zapier, Airtables, Excel. Well, I mean, everybody's going to be exposed to Excel, but um something like a process street, right? Tools, because if you can learn those tools early, if you, if, if you get really good at something like a process street and an Airtable and a Zapier and maybe a little RPA, if you can learn that stuff early, 
two things are going to happen. A, it's going to accelerate your career at other firms that don't have tools and processes implemented. They need this stuff. Or two, you're just going to set yourself up for setting up your own firm one day. Well, I think it depends too. Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to work with small business clients? Do you want to work with corporations? I mean, think about not necessarily where you want to be in 20 or 30 years, because that's impossible to predict these days. But think about where do you want to be in a few years? Because if you want to be a corporate controller, there's a certain path to take. Uh, If you want to be uh, a partner in your own firm, on your own firm, then the path that David suggested, learning the technology is a great idea. So um, you you could, I mean, at this level, you don't even have to do more schooling. You could go get certified in QuickBooks and Zero. You could go be a proper first professional. There's stuff out there to give you the infrastructure and support for you to run your own firm and service small businesses. That that are you going to be a twenty five million dollar firm one day? Probably not. But you're going to have a real business, and you might not have to spend anything more on school. D Hall in the live stream said, "With the current model, if more accounting firms say yes to forty hours a week, more Davids will be let go." A firm would have to reevaluate how to get to 40 hours instead of setting a 40 hours cap. So challenging this idea that we can cap the hours and we can still do the work. Now, I think that part of the reason a lot of these firms are overworking their staff is because they didn't make the investments in technology that would allow you to work fewer hours. Like over the last 10 years, 20 years, there has been an incredible leap in technology. As any listener of this show knows, cloud accounting increases your efficiency in a lot of ways by four or five times. I can do the work of a bookkeeper. I can do the, I, I, I myself, one person can do the work of four or five traditional bookkeepers, maybe more now, right? And the same tech is coming to tax, it's coming to practice management, and they haven't invested. And I think that's one reason why staff are overwhelmed. So I, I think that if you cap the hours, it forces people, you know, or you don't encourage people to work crazy hours. You don't reward them for working crazy hours. It encourages people to find efficiencies and find faster ways to do things. The problem with the billable hour model is that it just encourages people to be inefficient because if your bonus is linked to your billable hours, why would you go any faster or figure out ways to go any faster, right? And, and you know, it, it, it's you see this with just like underinvestment in technology across the profession, especially in large firms. Of course, that's not going to happen overnight. I was talking with a friend, uh, you know, how could you actually do this in a larger firm that's based on a billable hours model? Like, let's say tax, right? Um, all these tax returns have budgets. They have hours budgets, you know, a 20-hour tax return, that sort of thing, right? Well, uh, Jenny, Jenny Tabor, my friend, suggested, what if you, instead of having a billable hours budget, you had a point system and you just converted all those billable hours into points, and you gave your tax preparers points for completing the return, and it didn't matter how many hours it took. And you incentivize people based on the points. I guarantee you that that 20-hour return, there's somebody who can figure out how to do it in a shorter amount of time. I guarantee you. And that you. goes to the fixed pricing models, right? If you, if you charge a client the same amount every month, it's in your best interest to get as efficient as possible, yeah. to work as little as possible, but, and, to keep the same revenue. And these tax returns are effectively already fixed-priced anyways. You're using last year's price. That's a fixed price. Or if you're, you know, like they're not, they're not actually billed based on hours. If you go way over, it's not like the partner's going to bill double or triple what happened last year, you know, unless something actually new happened, in which case it's not based on hours. It's based on the circumstances, right? So that's possibly, you know, one way to do it. I've been thinking about that points-based system, gamify tax season and try to encourage people to do more in less time. That could be one way to do it. So I just pl- keep plowing through the listener mail. 
Plot to the listener okay. emails. Yeah, absolutely. So this was an Instagram message from Linda. Linda said, hi, Blake and David. I just saw this article about Illinois lowering the CPA hours requirement from 150 to 120 to sit for the exam. They still have to complete 150 to become licensed. It's a tiny move in the right direction, but still not enough, in my opinion. Out Outgoing society president Todd Shapiro has been an advocate for change in the CPA profession, but change is still very slow. So yes, it is a step in the right direction, right? So now you can actually sit for the CPA exam before you've gotten your 150 hours. Like why you had to wait before, you know, it makes no sense. But anyway, now you can sit for it while you're in school still. So I guess you could like take your four years. Then while you're in your master's program, you could be taking the CPA exam. But still, like what's the point of the 150 hours, right? Like what's the value? I don't, I, I still have yet for anyone to explain to me how the extra year of education makes anyone a better CPA. Like <laughs> it just objectively does not, there's no evidence that it does. Right. And all the arguments about keeping it have to do with stuff like uh, Barry Melanson was just at the accounting club of America. And he said, well, no other profession is reducing its educational requirements. So we shouldn't reduce our educational requirements. Like what, what kind of argument is that? Just because every other profession, which is also short-staffed is being stupid is a reason for us to be stupid too. You know, it's like, we don't have enough doctors. <laughs> Eventually, they're going to have to do something, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and again, this is everywhere. It's every profession. Like, everybody's going through this. Yeah. And, it, it, and that's the thing. Like, well, how do we get more accountants? Like, we could raise the wages, but every, there's just still not it, enough bodies. Like, at what point? And it's not about- Where's, it's, where's this going to tip? It, it has to be technology. And it's not about- right? This is why- It's not about lowering quality standards. It's not about lowering yeah. quality standards because the fifth year adds no quality. The fifth year has zero impact on quality. Yeah. Prove it that it does. It's so expensive; it doesn't do anything, and it's just a money grab for universities that don't aren't doing their job. Most of them, some of them are. Most of them aren't. They're not adding any value, and just costing money. So, sorry. At least trade it. Like, go work with the university. And be like, here's the deal. Yeah. We are going to keep the 150 hour rule, so you get one extra year of education from these students. You make a lot of money, Mister University. But in exchange, you have to promise us you're going to double the amount of accountants that graduate every year. You have to do whatever you do on your campus, recruitment, encouraging, like whatever you have, like you're going to produce more accountants and we'll keep this extra year around for you to make your extra cash. But the universities aren't pumping out more accounts, they're pumping out the smallest amount as ever. So you know what the AICPA's solution to the fifth year is? They say, okay, well, we're still gonna require 150 hours, but we're gonna make that year a year internship at the firm, and then the university is gonna give credits to the student for working at the firm. So, yeah. so, so why, why then have the 150 hour rule? Why not just require the work, work experience? You're just giving money or to the university. Get rid of all you're of basically it. if you pass the test, you pass the test. Right. Just get rid of it all. You don't even need a degree. What you're, if you pass the test, you pass the test. What you're ad, what you're admitting by doing that is that the universities aren't adding any value, but you're still gonna pay them. We're still gonna so the firms the firms are gonna pay the university tuition for the student. Just give the give the money to the accountant, the worst person working. More listener mail. Here we go. This is from Bernard. Hey Blake listened to this episode, Ron Baker, this morning. So that episode we did, Auditing Apathy with Ron Baker. Lovely episode. Fantastic episode. Go listen to it. Continuing on. 
You guys hit some real issues with our profession and the AICPA. It's not only big four firms having an independence problem with how audit fees are paid by the customer, and consequently, one third of audits are failing. But the AICPA is really an organization that is catering to its highest paying customers. The top 100 accounting firms and smaller firms are seeing no reason to belong to the AICPA, and the smaller firms are the majority of the membership. Our firm is a mid-sized firm, 30 full-time equivalents, of which 14 are CPAs. We have been frustrated for years on the lack of brand building that the AICPA does not do for the CPA brand. We do no audit work and very little assurance type services, so the requirement of an audit to be performed by a CPA is irrelevant to us. We need the marketing to highlight the CPA as probably the best qualified financial and tax advisor that can be offered to the public. So many ways that the CPA brand could be marketed. We have been outgunned by the CFP designation. We are all hoping the AICPA will get more young and diverse leadership and get the organization serving its members in a more equitable way. We have been Ron Baker followers for 10 years now and destroyed our timesheets nine years ago. We are a fixed price value billing firm and looking closely at the subscription model. I have already read Ron's book and it certainly lays the foundation and the logic for the subscription model. If we were starting our firm today or a smaller CPA firm, there would only be one way to go and that would be subscription. For legacy firms our size and larger, it's a little more difficult to switch only because we would have to change everyone to subscription and basically start a new company. We will continue to investigate full subscription billing and hopefully figure out the way to change in the near future. I like your podcast and try to catch every episode. Keep marketing Ron's book. And by the way, your foreword that you wrote for the book was great. Happy New Year. Thanks, Bernard. Yeah. Um, hey, actually, David, that's another way that your firm could have avoided firing you is if they'd had everyone on subscription billing because they would have seen the capacity constraint. They wouldn't have taken on the new clients and fired you. I guarantee you, David, that somebody stole your spot. And, and, and arguably, this is my, I, I think, is the mindset of the industry. Higher quality, higher, get higher, more, higher paying clients so you can work less hours. That's how everybody's trying to solve their, their working too many hours thing. Right. And it just trickles. And, and I think I'm going to go to this other firm and I'm going to steal the spot of four people that are going to get let Yeah. And then those people are going to go have to scramble around and find somebody I, else. I don't know if it really solves the problem. I don't know if like what they're doing will actually make anybody work less. Yeah, I mean, it's going to stop them from- And when you say what you're doing, what all accounting firms are doing. Yeah, like, right. Like, I just want to make sure- right. Well, this, this idea- What I experience is not exclusive. Right, this idea, this everyone's doing it, right? This idea of yeah. fewer clients for more money, but are you actually reducing the amount of time you're working? Are you really- re- Because- if it's again, if it's based on billable hours, then you can only make so much money as there are hours in the day. Yeah, I, I think you'd almost have to do this like declare bankruptcy, where you like, we're going to get let let go of half our clients, half of them, and then we're going to do nothing with our spare capacity is work on processes and automation no. and efficiencies, and then once we have everything working like a machine, now we'll start trying to add clients back onto our systems again. Like you almost have to, because because really, if you just cut it to get people down to forty hours again. They're not going to have elbow no. room and space to improve the world, well, the, 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 the world, like their situation. And the reason that's not going to happen, the, firm the reason that's not going to happen is because you cut half the clients, you lose half your revenue and the, the partners yeah. don't want to take the pay cut and, and you owe money to the retiring partners. You can't not pay them. And yeah, that's the problem. It's sort of like the, the system is like, it's not that any individual is doing bad things. It's the system is failing. And at a certain point it will break for some firms. Yeah, I'm gonna change my 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 uh, my prediction from last episode. What's that? Like after the Southwest Airlines thing and the FAA, like I think we are going to have an accounting industry meltdown in 2023. 
just some insane meltdown. Like, it, it, not just like IRS problems, like firms themselves. We're going to hear stories of firms. Remember how like two or three years ago, these little startups weren't filing people's tax returns and yeah. these nightmare scenarios like that? Yeah. We're going to start hearing that from legit firms. What well, firm did not file the tax returns? They ran out of time. Yeah. They ran out of bodies. They couldn't file the extensions long enough because maybe the IRS had some delays. Like, I think we're going to see like accounting industry meltdown ma- in 2023. Major customer service problem kind of thing. Uh, how about one more and then we'll uh, save the rest for yeah. next time? Okay. So this is from Rusty. Rusty said, hello, Blake and David, longtime listener, first time emailer. I have just finished listening to your December 23rd episode, QuickBooks. They were on QuickBooks. And I wanted to comment on the voicemail from Kate Johnson. As you are aware, each state has its own CPA license requirements. I acquired my CPA license earlier this year in North Carolina. I met my experience requirement without working a single hour under a CPA. In North Carolina, an applicant must pass the CPA exam, meet the 150-hour education requirement, obtain three good moral character references from current CPAs, and meet the work experience requirement. An applicant can obtain the work experience in three ways. One, one year in public accounting under the direct supervision of a CPA, or two, four years of teaching accounting courses at the four-year college-slash-university level, or three, four years of working in an accounting field in private industry. I completed my work experience for my CPA license application by working as a controller for a multi-state corporation for the past five years. My employer didn't require a CPA for the position. Also, according to the uh, North Carolina Board of CPA Examiners website, work experience can also be met by self-employment individuals working in an accounting field. So as I understand the requirements in North Carolina, someone who has been self-employed running their own bookkeeping, CAS, and or tax preparation or consulting firm can use that work for their work experience. So this is fascinating. Like this could be a way for people who don't want to go work for a traditional firm and work under a CPA to get licensed. Isn't that amazing? I had no idea that this requirement was different in, in like each state. Yeah. So isn't that crazy? Like you can get licensed as a CPA. They're requiring all this education, but no work experience. I mean, no work experience under like in a CPA firm. (laughs) How can the requirements be this different state by state? And I guess this is why it kind of, you know, I mean, it doesn't make sense that we even have state state by state licensure. Everything's so different, you know, and I've like, how can the CPA advance when it's all different from state to state? I got some work for you over the weekend. Okay. You got to go figure out, is there a loophole where people could just listen to, you know, 150 hours of podcast on the air, and take quizzes on the Earmark app, and that somehow can be utilized as your education requirement. So you can go research this offline. But at some level, is there a business opportunity here to make some money off of these crazy requirements? Do we need to start a university? You know? <laughs> start a, get accredited. Maybe we could get some of that federal money. Oh, man. All right, that's it. We still got some mail we're going to hold on to. If you want to send us mail or voicemails, email cloudaccountingpodcast at earmarkcpe.com. We love hearing from our listeners. Join us on YouTube live. Uh, We stream most Fridays. Subscribe to our channel. You'll get notified when we go live, uh, or you should anyway. And uh, yeah, we- This uh, is a good week to, to, to send it to us because news is a little slow right here. But then as soon as the tax season, the IRS servers get kicked on and they start accepting returns and all of that, that's when news starts to happen again. So I think like this is a good week. If you want to send us stuff, send it to us this week. I mean, we didn't even get to the Trump, you know, CFO going to jail for five months. We didn't get to the company getting the maximum payment. 
We didn't get to the buy now, pay later bubble, which is going to burst, which you kind of predicted that, actually. Uh, that might have been one of your predictions in the past. So you, you've highlighted that. We, we, you know, I guess we talked a little bit about remote work, but I got stuff I've, I've saved up. So next week, hopefully we can actually get back to uh, just hacking through that news. Well, yeah, I, I mean, we still work with a couple other accounting firms. Maybe we get, I get let go again. We don't know. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thanks, David. Uh, I will see you here next week. Next week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Time for the classifieds. Is your New Year's resolution to get your firm better organized? The average firm spends more than 30% of its time sending repetitive requests to clients for information to complete their work. When you don't have what you need, your workflow is blocked and your team is frustrated. Eliminate this frustration with ClientHub. ClientHub is a modern workflow platform with deep roots in the accounting profession. Unlike traditional platforms, ClientHub is built for both your team and your clients. Get faster client responses, build better client relationships, and become a more productive firm. To schedule your demo, go to clienthub.app. That's clienthub.app. Check out Hector Garcia's new app called Write Tool for QuickBooks Online. Instantly increase your productivity with keyboard shortcuts and more. It will save you seconds. The app is free at the moment in public beta. Check them out at writetool.app. That is writetool.app. R-I-G-H-T-T-O-O-L dot app. On the Cloud Accounting Podcast, Blake and I discuss the top accounting, bookkeeping, and tax news stories each week. But for years, we've always felt like there were so many federal tax-related updates, changes, and news that we couldn't possibly ever talk about all of them on our podcast. Not to mention, we probably lacked the knowledge to go into the weeds about tax code and how it affects your clients. The hosts Roger Harris and Annie Schwab together have over 75 years of tax experience helping both individuals and small business owners navigate the complexities of the current tax law. Their expertise has been published in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, The Morning Business Report, Bloomberg Business News, and Accounting Today, and even as it led to offering testimony before Congress on small business tax legislation. Listening to this podcast will save you time from scouring and digesting scores of blog sites or IRS news feeds, while keeping you up to date on the latest federal tax information needed to run your tax practice and best serve your clients. And to save you even more time, CPAs and EAs can earn CPE and CE credits for listening to this podcast. And don't worry, they're both fully NASBA and IRS approved. Be sure to subscribe or follow the Federal Tax Updates podcast in your favorite podcast player today or head to federaltaxupdates.com. That's federaltaxupdates.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.